0: This is Julie Henrik as the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am really, really delighted to welcome Jennifer J. Chow to the podcast today. Jennifer J. Chow is the Lefty Award-nominated author of The Sassy Cat Mysteries and the forthcoming LA Night Market Mysteries from Berkeley. The first in the Sassy Cat series, Mimi Gets a Clue, was selected as an Overdrive-recommended read a pop sugar best summer beach read staff picks for changing hands bookstore escondido library and the richland library and one of buzzfeed's top five books by aapi authors it's so great jennifer has also published other asian american novels which feature secrets and mysteries she currently serves as the vice president on the national board of sisters in crime and is an active member of crime writers of color and mystery Writers of America. Welcome to the podcast, Jen.
1: Thanks for having me, Julie. I'm
0: glad to be here. I'm really glad that you're here and we can have this conversation, and we're going to talk about being vice president of Sisters in Crime a little bit later on. But first, let's talk about you and your writing journey. Uh, when did you first say to yourself, I want to write a novel? Oh, well, <laughs> well, when I was a kid, I wanted to write a novel.
1: I actually remember taking my dad's old typewriter, sneaking it, and just typing up pages. I'm sure, looking back (laughs) on it, I'm sure they didn't really appreciate that (laughs) because it was quite noisy. And I remember typing, and then I had to put the correction tape in if I did something wrong. Um, But I did finish something. I thought it was a novel, I think, to my kid-like, you know, uh, imagination but probably it was like a short story but my dad did bring it uh into his workplace to show it off to his coworkers.
0: I love that so I mean you're typing away and and know as a, a young child that you knew you wanted to write a novel I mean that's that's a lot I mean that's pretty impressive (laughs) um but also that's an early drive because i i for some other people that i've talked to writing a novel didn't even seem like something you could pursue until later in their childhood so were you an early reader or what what sort of got you on this oh i've got stories to tell i want to tell them
1: i was a Semi early reader. I think in the beginning we didn't have that many books in my home, so I wasn't a super early reader. But then I have an older brother, and we would go to the library a lot, uh, especially when we got yeah a little bit older. And then I remember tagging along and just picking up books and thinking, "Wow, people actually write these books, and yeah. maybe I could do it too." At least as a as a child. As I got um, further along, I think my parents started um, asking me if, you know, (laughs) this is really what I wanted to pursue because, you know, writing isn't the most lucrative of
0: careers. (laughs) No, it's not the career that... um makes parents not worry <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> anything in the arts doesn't is is a moment um, but did you take classes you know in college or how did you how did you build your craft once you got a little bit older and you thought okay this is something I, I I'm interested in how did you build your craft I mean I think part of it was encouragement of teachers I do remember
1: uh, one elementary teacher giving me an A-plus, actually, on a mystery short story. And then I continued on. And in high school, I did a lot of uh, writing-related activities. So for a while, I wrote poetry and was uh, entered some in competitions and had many printed somewhere, got some recognition. And then I was also part of we had a literary magazines. So I was part of that. I was part of yearbook. I was a co-editor on our newspaper. So I, I kind of did all of those writing related
0: activities. Yeah. Yeah. So through high school and, you know, in college, were you in, a major or how did, what did, I, what did that play?
1: I wasn't in college. I decided to take the safe route. So I was actually um, a biology major. I thought I wanted to do research um, or maybe even pursue a medical degree, um, which I I soon decided was actually not for me, especially when I took organic chemistry and uh, did not enjoy that class. So I I, I stuck with it. I, I thought about double majoring actually, um, in English and in biology, but the way the university system worked was I would have had to transfer out of the college I was part of in that university to pursue the double degree. And it was, it was kind of complicated. So I ended up uh, not going that route, but I did continue to write on the side. Um, And I, I also segue from biology as A research scientist to actually um, something more people oriented that I wanted to do was, uh, which was social work. So I actually ended up in the social work field um, for a while.
0: So as you're, you know, pursuing uh the incredibly noble uh social work world because that's uh that's so much work uh you know and and heartfelt work. Um and also a great way to meet people and build characters. Were you writing stories? Like where were you putting writing in your life as you're as you're navigating uh, your early careers? So, you know, were you writing short stories? Were you working on novels? Was it not part of your life? How did, how did you sort of keep going? I think I was mostly a
1: a reader during those years. I did geriatric social work. Um, so it was mostly reading and then observing the people around me, I think, but I just, it's, it's an exhausting type of job. So I didn't really have, um, many writing hours, I would say. It was only until I ended up um, on maternity leave that I actually got more time. funnily enough that I got more time when I was on maternity leave to um, pursue more of a creative side and start actually writing again.
0: And when you started writing again uh, in this uh, this period of time, did you had uh, sign up for workshops, or did you were you just doing it on your own and and you know, figuring it out that way, or how did you get support to to take this on? Because that's on top of being about to have a baby. Um, writing a novel's a, a big a big endeavor to take on by yourself. Yeah, I think I
1: might have started with short stories, but I definitely subscribed to um, a lot of the writing magazines. I had The Writer, mm-hmm. I had Writer's Digest. I read blogs on writing. A little bit later on, I also took some courses from UCLA. They have some extension courses for writing yeah. that I got to take uh, online because it fit my schedule better.
0: Yeah, UCLA has some great online um, online classes, and that's a gr- another wonderful way for folks to hone their craft. Um, was it always going to be crime fiction for you, or or did you, or have you written in other genres? It,
1: it was not, even though I enjoyed reading crime fiction, I I think I didn't think I could pull it off, actually, in the beginning. So what I first wanted to write in was, um, well, different genres. My, my very first, first manuscript that I shelved, I think, was um, probably like a lighthearted comedic, uh, like a comedic version of maybe like the Joylet Club by Amy Tan, but it was like the Dim Sum Club or something. <laughs> you know, like different. So I think I tried that for a little bit. And then I, then I moved on to um, women's fiction, but multicultural women's fiction. So my first, technically my first debut novel it's called the Two Two Eight Legacy. It was inspired by these events that happened in Taiwan's history, and it follows this um, three generations in this Taiwanese American family. They all have secrets, including this um, massacre that that really was hidden for for decades um, in Taiwan, and you know, not talked about, not printed about in any textbook. Uh. So, I did that first because I think I was inspired by trips that I made. Um, to see relatives over there. Uh, And then I, and then, I mean, it has secrets in it. Uh, And then I tried my hand at young adult. (laughs) So I have a a YA novel called Dragonfly Dreams. And that's, it's kind of historical, 1880s, but it's also slightly paranormal in that it has, a ghost narrator who's kind of navigating sort of the afterworld and the um, current world on Earth, um, and so it's it's also got these like element of mystery in it. But mm-hmm. I I honestly didn't know if I could pull a direct whodunit novel. Um, but I do remember I grew up reading a lot of mysteries. I loved Encyclopedia Brown. Nancy Drew, Uh, I stole my brother's, like Hardy Boys, and uh, I I just liked reading all of that. And I also read Agatha Christie with my mom, which was um, a lot of fun to read together. So I think that kind of inspired me to write it uh, as well, to uh, to actually challenge myself and write a, a whodunit, and just navigate it toward that cozy mystery genre so I do have actually an indie indie series I was going to say that's why I started first with an um, indie series uh, Winston Wong cozy mysteries and the first one's senior sleuth um, sort of set in a senior home uh, because he's like an ex-video game tester and he advertises his you know detective services as this top-notch senior sleuth but it gets misprinted in his ad to senior Sleuth, and so he gets you know embroiled in this <laughs> <laughs> murder at a senior
0: home. And so that is a, a indie published. Was it, it Was it several books in that series, or I did the first book,
1: uh, Senior Sleuth, and it came out. And then there was a I was juggling some stuff, and there, um, like family health issues and things like that. So um, I delayed. Books two and three, but during that time, I also got the contract for the Sassy Cat mystery series. Uh, but I wanted all of those books to come out um, together prior to Sassy the Sassy Cat number one releasing. So I wrote the first book. An editor actually saw it at um, Penguin Random House contacted me about writing the Sassy Cat series. And I was under contract. But I finished the books in the Winston Wong series, which is the third three books in that series. That's kind of a convoluted way.
0: (laughs) Timeline. Are they all um, published under your
1: name? So the Winston Wong Cozy series is published under JJ Chow because in my mind I thought, oh, if I'm going to try this indie route for a little bit, Maybe I'll, you know, use my initials instead. Plus, that one has a male protagonist, so I thought, oh, maybe the initials would work better somehow in marketing. Yeah. I don't
0: know. Yeah. Well, I mean, those are all decisions you make, right? Or you're try. You'd have to try and figure out. So that's interesting, and um, I'm going to link to to these books in the show notes so that people can, uh, can find them. Oh, but um, your sassy cat, talks, how did, how did that come about? So like I was saying before,
1: I self-published the Winston Wong um, book number one. So that an editor read it um, and contacted me out of the blue I I honestly thought it was like a phishing scam in the beginning because they said, "Hi, I am an editor at Penguin Random House. You know, I read your book. I thought it was really funny. And we're looking to make a, you know, another mystery series, but with a female Asian American lead in it, pet themed. Would you be interested in, you know, maybe sending over some sample chapters, which I did. After I verified with friends that it was not a phishing scam, I sent in several chapters, and I thought I actually, I thought they, you know, they forgot about me or I thought they, I don't know, passed over me or something because I didn't hear from them for a while. Then I got this call out of the blue. And they said, "Oh, by the way, we read your sample chapters and loved them. So, you know, we'd like to to make a deal. So that's uh, that's how I got on board with Sassy Cat Mysteries. And I think I feel like I did everything backwards because um, the editor called me, and then after I got this deal, then I I went on the search for literary agents, and then <laughs> that's how I got my literary agent.
0: And so, yeah, that's what happened." Well, it's a a pretty fortuitous and fabulous um, way of, of developing a career and not like others that I've heard for sure. But um, so Winston Wong obviously uh, pulled people in. Had you tried to query that to agents or editors before, or had you always said, I'm going to indie publish these? I, I
1: did start off doing some queries, um, and I got some feedback about how the market was more for f- female leads. Um, so then I toyed around with doing a smaller publisher, which is how I had my other previous books released through small presses. But then I decided to go indie. Um, part of it was to kind of explore this, that space. And uh, actually part of it was also because um, so my mom was dealing with cancer at that time and I kind of wanted to uh get something out for her since we had had shared that love of mysteries so it's a lot obviously a lot faster to work um through the the indie method of publishing and so she she did she did get to see I think a draft of it um before she passed and that first book is actually dedicated
0: to her oh that's lovely that's lovely, um, and sharing that love of mysteries, I'm sure, keep continues to transcend, right? I mean, she she <laughs> she would be very proud of of what everything that's happening now. You mentioned, uh, and I'll, I'm going to link to the first two books, but uh, in general, your other books have humor in them. Do you set out? to write funny like do you know that you're writing funny or or that that becomes um, <laughs> what you're doing or is that something that that just happens to be the way you tell stories that people find it funny
1: i you know i don't think i set it out to be funny but i know i remember reading cozy mysteries and loving the ones that had a lot of humor in them i remember i read the um Jane Austen mystery series. I thought that's hilarious. And I, when I started my cozy mystery, I started with the character, right? I started with my protagonist and then sort of um, from there, the other cast of characters, whether they're side characters or suspects. And then I just kind of wrote it how I saw it. I usually see it as a film in my head. So that's how I wrote it. I, I do have a critique group. That meets weekly, and and some of us actually came from the UCLA um, Writers Program. We're taking classes there, and I I remember them reading the chapters and and laughing. And I thought, oh, I guess I I read a humorous cozy. I did I didn't really realize it. And I also thought, you know, things that make may seem funny to me might not seem funny to others. But it seemed like they were enjoying it, so. That's kind of how I got into this route of, of lighthearted, humorous mysteries.
0: So let's talk a little bit about your process, because you just said that you see it as a movie in your head. Do you see the whole movie before you sit down? Or do the characters show up and then you just follow the movie <laughs> as they're telling it to you? Or, you know, I mean, there's a plot or the pantser question, but it's also if you're a visual thinker, how does, how do How does it all come to you? It's probably, it's kind of like the plotter
1: pantser question in that I'm in the middle, like the planter, that sort of, like, I kind of plot, um, like an arc, and then I sort of plot scene by scene, but it's also a little bit loose. So I think with the movie idea, it's also that I see the character, um, and I see how maybe the character, what sort of obstacles would get in their way. But then I also wait sometimes and see scene by scene, like, what happens when they get thrown into this situation. So it's a
0: a little bit of both. Do you have... what do you do with writer's block do you believe in writer's block like what happens if all of a sudden the movie changes or you know you're on deadlines like the characters aren't cooperating or things like that you know how do you deal with those kinds of issues Uh um I believe in writer's
1: breaks (laughs) I think it's when I I get stuck I I try to you know I have to do something different. It has to be like going outside, taking a walk, I don't know, doing the dishes, whatever. It has to be sort of an actual physically different location for me to have those like creative gears start turning again. I mean, the nice thing about having an outline though is that there is like something to move forward to and because... I'm on deadline. It <laughs> makes it, you know, imperative that I actually move forward at, you know, a, you know, pr- not like a rapid pace, but you know, it has to be pretty steady. So I think part of it is is having that outline in place and you know, kind of just pushing for it. And even if I write down words and I totally decide to edit them later or revise scenes or cut out scenes, um, at least. I have something to work with.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's much easier to edit words than a blank page. <laughs> yes. That's the
1: beauty, I think, of NaNoWriMo, that, you know, yeah. at least you get the words out there and then you can do something with those words.
0: As we're recording this, we're in the middle of NaNoWriMo, and uh, I I agree with you. I, I think that it's you you don't have time to second-guess yourself either, so you just <laughs> get the words out. What's the best piece and the worst piece of writing advice you've ever gotten? I think um,
1: I guess I start the best piece. The best piece of advice probably uh, was Jonah Penn, and I had read on her blog that she measured goals in, she didn't measure against others. She measured against herself. And what she would do is she would measure based on uh, Olympic size gaps. So every four years or, you know, relatively every four years. Um, and then see, you know, how the progression of the writing journey is for her. And I find that a lot healthier to think that way, to not compare myself with others and to also you know having like a good amount of time to see like what kind of progress have I really made. and and I think that's encouraging for me. I think it's hard to, you know think back and think, oh, last month or last year, and sort of see like what kind of improvements have there been, but it's a easier when there's like a a larger time gap. So I think that's the best piece. The worst piece. Um, <laughs> I think the worst piece of advice I got was, um, I had, I think I was doing comps from, um, comparative titles for my books at one point. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I was thinking, oh, I should compare it to some, you know, nice, nice novels that are out there. And I think I had someone tell me, oh, you should comp it to like, I can't remember what it's like you know new york times best-selling blah 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 book and like you should just throw in all these famous books right because it will just lift up your manuscript in the eyes of whatever whoever the editor or publisher whatever it was and um i i think that probably backfired <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't the best advice i got because then i i thought oh they're probably just think i'm just arrogant <laughs> like this arrogant writer comparing themselves <laughs> to this you know well-known author
0: Well and again your journey uh in traditional publishing was backwards <laughs> so you know normally people um, We'll find an agent and then a publisher, especially uh, Penguin Random House. It's, it's, uh, you know, I love your story because it gives people hope and it's, it's, uh, it's kind of great. But having comparable titles just for folks who are listening is helpful for an agent or an editor to know where your book fits and how they're going to sell it. So it's not terrible to compare yourself to bestsellers, but it's also helpful for them to say, Here's some other people, too, who, you you know, you'll be able to find it like. um, I uh, am looking at you and uh, in this picture, which we can't see, you've got Mimi Lee Cracks the Code in the back, which is uh, your most recent year series. But you've also got Midnight Hour, which is a new short story anthology that's out and and is available through all booksellers. Um, So. Are you, do you love writing short stories? How does that fit into your writing life? Because that's a whole different, um, skill set writing short.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm in awe of people who are short, like strictly short story writers or anyone actually who crafts a short story because they're incredibly difficult to make. It's such a condensed piece of work. And I, I mean, I, I think I started out as a short story only because, in the beginning, I wasn't. Sh- you know, it's it's one thing to dream about writing a novel; it's another to like look at the blank page and like actually write um, x amount of words or pages. And so, I I did do short stories just kind of to hone craft. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I would I would not consider myself um a short story writer by by any means but i i do appreciate the ability to be creative um, in short stories and to kind of try out new things and to work on different aspects like my short story in the midnight hour anthology is is very different from what i usually write um the the submission call for that anthology was uh for a midnight themed story but also for a sort of like um a grittier crime fiction so it was a challenge to kind of put together a short story that that fit
0: that those requirements yeah. we talked about uh, and we could talk more about you, that your novels are cozy but it, but i love that you're in your short story exploring a different genre or or you know sort of seeing how it feels. I mean, in writing that grittier short story, do you feel like that's something you'd like to explore in a longer form at some point or, you know, what made you choose to be a cozy writer? Is that where your heart is, you know, or are there, we can have different Jennifer Chows um, with different kinds of series. I mean, I'm definitely
1: open um, to writing different styles. I feel comfortable in the cozy genre because it's just, I just love sort of that, I mean, the coziness of it all and the fact that there's a strong community, the fact that there's mm-hmm. generally an, an amateur sleuth who, who's relatable. Um, and its it's like finding a nice, you know, literary home every time you open a cozy mystery and so i appreciate that and i appreciate that i can put in a lot of humor i'm sure you could find humor in in darker stories but it's maybe not quite the same and not quite the level and i do like my puns so cozy mysteries are full of puns
0: they yeah, are indeed
1: um, um as far as darker stuff i think i liked writing that story so i i would be okay um writing a different kind of story but maybe more traditional mystery versus like I don't know like a serial killer story or something like that <laughs> that wouldn't I don't think that would work for me
0: um what do you wish you you've published with with small presses you've published indie you've published with a, a, a larger house what do you wish you'd known earlier in your publishing career because the publishing journey and the writing journey are two separate journeys um, but what do you wish you'd known earlier in your publishing career?
1: I think I wish I'd known earlier uh, to that you would take a that it might take a while um, especially traditional publishing uh, is quite slow and I mean, that's just the way it is. You know, I do appreciate all the work that goes into traditional publishing uh, and all the consultants that are there to help, you know, birth a book out. But I think I would have appreciated finding community earlier. I I Mm -hmm. did have some community, but it's so much easier to really go on this journey when there are fellow like writers around who really understand, you know, what does it mean when you get a rejection or, you know, what kind of trials, you know, are happening. It's, yeah, it's just very important to have that. And I honestly, if I didn't have extra community along the way, I don't know if I would have stuck with it.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about that a little bit because I, 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 think that a lot of writers, uh, especially early on, think it's going to be a solo endeavor and in the writing itself is, but everything else about it does require people um, and people who understand what you're trying to do. And will support you, but also will push you when you need to be pushed or or give you a little bit of tough love, which family doesn't always do. I mean, you know, they don't they want you to succeed, but they may not understand why you're spending all these hours sitting with a laptop and not talking to anybody. Um, so the community aspect is something we don't talk about enough. And you've mentioned that you had a critique group, and and you know you're members of a member vice president of Sisters in Crime, but also a member of MWA and Crime Writers of Color. What do what do communities like that mean to you? I think it's
1: just it's it's encouraging to have um, people around you who really understand. I think when you're saying earlier about family or even friends, I think they maybe ap- appreciate the idea of someone being an author, but it's there's always a lot of I think questions being bounced to me as an author. And it'll be like first they'll be like, oh, you you're writing something, right? When's it getting published? Right? Or it'll be like, oh, you've written something, like have I heard of it? What kind, you know, like <laughs> what kind of recognition are you getting? And I think it just kind of like, you know, spirals from there. Whereas I think if you have a community that's um, that understands where you're coming from, it's okay to be authentic. It's okay to be vulnerable. And I I think different communities feed different aspects. Uh, like I'm part of crime writers of color, and that's that's been extremely helpful because it is um, hard, you know, trying to write characters perhaps um, from a different, like cultural viewpoint that might not be, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, as easily marketable or or have comp titles like we're talking about before. Um, And I think it's, it's nice to have that support base. And I've been to conferences, too, where I feel like, you know, I, I feel a little bit awkward, like I stand out. Um, so it's I think it's important to have that kind of um, backup and, and just understanding from people.
0: I'm going to link to Crime Writers of Color in the show notes uh, because people can see books that are coming out and, and the list of authors. We are in a time where more... Authors are getting opportunities, uh, and there are more books with different protagonists out there, so that uh, but we need to be supportive of all these authors in all of these series so that publishing uh, keeps going in that. Do you find do you feel I feel like we're it's much better than it was, but we we need to really keep working to make sure the momentum keeps going. Mm-hmm.
1: It's definitely much it's much better. But there's, you know, there still needs to be uh, work to be done, and I, I think I could, I mean, I, I don't, I could probably count, you know, on one hand, like I mean, Asian American cozies before, and and now I'm glad that there's, um, there's a lot more, you know, going on and a lot more different types of protagonists that like you're saying, and I I appreciate the stories and they they do need support.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's fun to read. I mean, as you said, cozies are about community and it's fun to learn about a new community and to find out new things. And to, I think one reason people do like cozies is that you do learn something as you're reading it, because usually there's a hook that will bring you in and you're like, you know, but, but it's wonderful to discover new communities and new people as you're adding to your cast of characters that you visit every year when a cozy comes out. Mm -hmm. It's exciting.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely learn about people, learn about
0: whatever food or whatever hook it is, knitting or whatever. Tell us a little bit about the new series. The
1: new series is called LA night market series. So it's set in Los Angeles and there is a local night market. There are two cousins who run this food stall at the night market um, and one of their, their um, customers ends up dead. And so they're under suspicion and they, and they have to clear their name. And it's, it's a fun, it's, it was a fun book to write because it's got a lot of, you know, what my foodie heart <laughs> enjoys writing about. So a lot of food, drinks mentioned. Um, and, I liked having these two cousins because they're sort of opposite personality, but then they get thrown together into the mix. And I just, yeah, I just really enjoyed it. The, the book one is called uh, Death by Bubble T.
0: So it was a lot of fun. <laughs> and so when you come up with a new series... What what first came to you? Where the did the cousins show up, and you decide to build around that? Did you decide, oh, I want to do it in L.A. because for those folks listening, as long as you've got a small community, a small community can exist in a city as well. It's you know that's that's a lot of cosies take uh place in a city they're just in a community and, and we define that community but what came to you first was it the idea of the night market was it the cousins was it wanting to kill somebody with bubble tea i mean <laughs> <what>? <laughs> i think it was the the food aspect of it so uh,
1: we, <laughs> this is running joke in my family that uh so my brother my brother and my husband um had this idea for, like, a, I don't know, cafe or something, Um, and they had called it, you know, Chennai and chai because they like this roti Chennai flatbread, Um, and then they like chai tea, and they're like, this is meat great name. And so they had kind of joked about it over the years. And then I thought, Hey, I'm going to go put that in a book. <laughs> so, <laughs> so in this book, there's this food stall. It's about and Thai. It's an offshoot of, um, one of the cousins, uh, dad's restaurant. He runs a, a dim sum restaurant. Um, but I, I think I started with the food idea of like, Ooh, look at this food stall I could make. And then, and then came the characters like, let's throw in two opposite personality cousins, you know, one's from Hong Kong and then one's here in the U.S. And then let's, let's kind of run off with that idea.
0: I love that. And a culinary cozy, does that mean you have to make up recipes and include them in the book? It does. So it was, it's, it was interesting
1: making those recipes. Like I was, I mean, I, I. I do I enjoy cooking, so I I have that going for me, but I still was kind of researching like how could I make this recipe? And I mean it's kinda tough to to make the recipes. And the thing is when I was growing up and I was cooking, like my family would um, they have they don't really do recipes. (laughs) <laughs> they're they're more of the like, yeah. You just throw this and then a little bit of this, a dash of that, and so it, there's like no measurements. So I think that was kind of the hard part for me. Like, how do I measure these things when it's like, yeah, a pinch of this or like, we we had this thing where, um, so they they told me how to cook rice, right? And you know, most of the times you you see the rice cooker and. And then you're like, okay, put this cup of rice, this you know, cups of water. But they're like, yeah, yeah, you put the rice in, and then you 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 put your hand in, and then the water level has to go like above you, like whatever your knuckles and it, it's it's very you know, imprecise.
0: I love that. I love that. So that you need to talk to people and say, take a picture of you throwing that pinch in so I can see how big that finches. Yeah, video That's, and then just zoom in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, so what are you working on now? So, um, I have the second book in the Night Market series and I'm working on that now. It ha- it, it revolves around hot pot. <laughs> so, um that's that's fun to write, and then I'm kind of just um, brainstorming other ideas, and also thinking a little bit about like maybe a uh, maybe a traditional mystery. I'm not sure.
0: Oh, that's exciting! That's very exciting. And when does the um, night market first one come out next in 2022? In July, I July,
1: think it's July 27th, 2022. 7th, 2022. So far,
0: <laughs> so far. I know, yeah, I know. The publishing around. world <laughs> is yeah. uh, the supply supply chain issues are, are affecting all of us. Um, anything you're reading right now that you want to share or, or or sing the praises of? Oh, there's so many good books out there.
1: Um, it's a hard to to, to pick one. I I do want to get my hands on a copy of the um, uh, Best Mystery Short Stories, American Mystery Short Stories, um, edited by Steph Cha and Alfred Burke, and I'm looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that, too. Some really remarkable um, authors are in there. Short story collections uh, are such a great way to sample people's work, to see authors that you know and love stretching or do, trying something different. And um, it, it's just there's so many great anthologies out right now, so highly recommended. Um, so, Jen, thank you for being here, and thank you for um, your service to Sisters in Crime National. Um, you've been on the board a couple of months now, um, and uh, you know it's not a small thing to be the vice president of of this organization. As we're about to celebrate thirty five years, so I, I really am, uh, on behalf of everybody, so grateful that you're you've taken this on. Oh, I, I'm really honored to have been elected,
1: and it is an exciting time uh, celebrating anniversary and just uh, I think just being on on the board of such. supportive um, members and it's it's nice that I can contribute back and hopefully create a community for you know other
0: writers and readers and just I don't know help any way I can no it's great it's really great Um, well thanks so much for the conversation thank you for having me